0: Welcome back, 1001 Heroes listeners, to the third episode in our Edgar Cayce interview series, this one titled, Reincarnation and Karma. I trust you're all settled in for what promises to be a very insightful interview based upon Edgar Cayce's readings, and we'll be covering lots of topics that center around reincarnation and karma, including past lives and life readings, Casey's theories on the continuity of life, his readings that explained Jesus' lost years the origin and meaning of the term karma, the answer to the spirit world, and the question, what's on the other side? Fallen angels, unseen forces, and the answers to what some people call the cosmic puzzle. Why do good people have to suffer tragedies, and what can we do about it? According to the website at edgarcasey.org, Edgar Cayce was the most documented psychic of the 20th century, giving us a record of over 14,000 readings that concentrated mainly on a wide range of topics, including healing, ancient mysteries and civilizations, dreams and dream interpretation, ESP and psychic phenomena, spiritual growth, meditation and prayer, holistic healing, and reincarnation and karma, the subject that brings us here this morning. We're with Peter Woodbury today at the Edgar Casey Center, correctly known as the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach. Peter Woodbury, MSW, received his undergraduate degree in psychology from Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and his master's degree in social work from Boston University. He trained in hypnotherapy and past-life regression techniques with Dr. Brian Weiss, Dr. Alan Chips, and Dan Brown, Ph.D. Peter is in private practice as a psychotherapist and hypnotherapist in Virginia Beach, with a focus on the use of spirituality and faith as tools for personal transformation and liberation. A student of the Casey Readings for over 20 years, he's a popular presenter on key topics from the Casey Readings, both at A.R.E. headquarters and in the field. Fluent in three languages, he's also known for his outstanding leadership of A.R.E. tours to South America, India, and Egypt. He also finds time to play Edgar Casey in the popular
1: one-man show titled An Evening with Edgar Casey." Thanks, John, for having me on your podcast, The Thousand and One Heroes. I'm happy to be here with you and your audience and to share uh, my experiences with uh, Edgar Casey, his work, and the way I've applied it into my work with um, regression hypnosis. How about setting the table for us
0: and giving us the basic picture of what Casey told us about reincarnation and karma?
1: Well, that's a great uh, question. And when I speak on behalf of Edgar Cayce around the country, I usually start with giving the background, you know, any philosophy or philosopher tells us who are we, where do we come from and what's the mission and purpose in life. And so in some ways we have to go back all the way to our creation, which Cayce talks about that in the, in the beginning, we were one with our source, with our creator. And there was this desire for conscious companionship and souls were created in this uh, vein, in this hope to be conscious companions with the Creator. So we are, in a way, uh, drops in the ocean. So we're a part of the whole, but not the whole. And so then, as the story goes, and of course it's simplified because we're in three-dimensional consciousness. but. We're given kind of uh, the keys to the kingdom, and Casey calls it a universe of worlds that we're um, out to explore and learn from, and like prodigal children, the hope is that someday we'll we'll come home and have some uh, good stories, and our consciousness will have grown, and that we'll be able to share that with our creator. And so as the story goes, and we're exploring, we come to this earth place, this earth plane, as Edgar Casey calls it. And um, I've oftentimes wondered with this universe of worlds that we're given to explore, what was it about Earth that seems to have drawn our interest? And the story seems to be about that we're created in consciousness, but with the desire to learn and grow. And that we learn and grow from things that are different, from differentiation. And so as we experience the Earth, the Earth has non-spiritual aspects to it that are create our curiosity the first is that it's material that we are like in a way you could say we're like steam and the earth is like ice and so casey says at the beginning we were enjoying creation kind of observing it but outside of creation and then we made the plunge we projected ourselves into matter and that began our kind of involution into this earth at the beginning we were staying for a short time we were aware of our spiritual origin and we, would, we were aware that we were having a material experience, but there became a lingering. And, you know, we can think of in our lives kind of oftentimes we have a plan and then we begin to linger and things get a little deviated. And that seems to be what happened with this first involution, that the lingering and also the, the allegory of Adam and Eve. Casey talks about that first the draw was the material for learning, and then uh, creation began to differentiate on the earth into the male and the female. And the soul is not, has no gender, it's androgynous. So, so sexuality and gender were new and became a draw. And so that deepened uh, the soul's kind of involution into this earth plane and led to this forgetting. You know, we're, we're from infinite consciousness. The earth, you could say, is like a three-bedroom apartment In order to move in we had to put most of our consciousness into storage or into the subconscious mind so there's really been this forgetting a kind of a spiritual amnesia that we have here on earth and we have uh, begun to act in ways that are non-spiritual selfish greedy outside of oneness the soul's nature God's nature is one we're all the same we're all loved but in this material world we forget that we see so many differences and we act from separation And so even though we're in a material world, spiritual law continues with us. And the first law is you reap what you sow or the law of karma. And so when we created, when we had experiences of of being non-spiritual, let's say of being selfish, it creates a mark on the soul like a stain. And so when we then depart the earth plane at death, in order to continue our soul voyage, there's something earthly about our soul now that has to be attended to and in Scripture it talks about that if you want your prayer to meet your Creator it's best that you go and make amends with your brother and sister and then return with your prayer and so that's the story of our soul where we want to return to our source but we have created karma we have ought against our brothers and sisters and so what's happened on the earth has to be met in the earth and so there's this necessity of reincarnation. And where there has been hatred, we have to act with love. And that, in a way, is like the it cleanses the soul back to its original nature. And so we're all, in some way, in this uh, process of reincarnating and working through karma. Now, Casey adds to it that we're part of soul groups, that from the first involution, we have formed uh, groups. It's a little bit like it reminds me of when you are, go to college and you have a roommate and then you have people that live on your floor and you end up hanging out together and then the rest of your life you stay in touch with this, uh, this group of friends. And so that's what's happened since the beginning. We've created karmic attachments with the original group that we've come in and through the many incarnations that has become our family, friends, loved ones, spouses, all that sort of thing. And you can think of in your family there's easy flowing energy, which you would say is the relationships that you've worked through a lot of karma is very supportive. And then there's some relationships that are more testing there. There's more, uh, feeling there, maybe animosity or uh, grudges. And that's the karmic work that as you work through grudges and resentments, then you eventually achieve the status like what Tibetan Buddhism calls a Bodhisattva, where you're not, ne- there's not a necessity to reincarnate, uh, from karma. Oftentimes people may choose to reincarnate to help their soul group uh work through the uh the karma of earth, but there's not the uh the karmic need.
0: Now that brings up an interesting point. On your spiritual journey, do you get to choose the path of your reincarnation?
1: That's a great question because um, you know, it's we're told we have free will and then we have all this karmic obligations, you know, which is it? Is it either or? And Casey oftentimes answers those questions with a yes, and so the, you know, there's examples where a soul has chosen not to reincarnate at a certain time. So there was a choice of when to reincarnate. But if you, you know, I, I think we all choose to reincarnate because it's the only way, in a way, to to graduate or to learn from this school. So I, as we've created karma, we have to at some point. Uh, make the choice to come in and uh, address it. So when we do it is up to us. But to evolve through this plane, uh, we do have to reincarnate. Stay tuned for this message from our sponsor,
0: ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring and it doesn't matter where in the world you're listening to this message, you want to find the best talent out there as quickly as possible and do this without breaking the bank. And we have the answer right here with a new partnership between 1001 and ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter is an idea that works so well and so fast and puts so many qualified people in your radar that you're not going to believe it. They are basically an aggregator of over 100 of the best job boards out there. And they offer all the well-thought-out tools and support and technology you need to make finding the right people easy. Imagine being able to post to over 100 job boards with just one click. And unlike other job sites that have candidates finding you, ZipRecruiter finds them. Over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter find you qualified candidates in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by business of all sizes to find qualified candidates with immediate results. Right now, our 1001 listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter.com for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash 1001. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash 1001. And now we return to our show in progress. It sounds like the way Casey is describing reincarnation is that we're on a constant path of improvement.
1: Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, the, the hope is that we're on a constant path of improvement. Um. Casey called it losses and gains. And he would oftentimes say in any life there's periods of loss and gain. And that would be, gain would be times where you're less selfish, where you're thinking of others, where you're cooperating, um, doing your spiritual work. And then times of loss would be when you're, um, self-centered kind of uh, bullying people around kind of over any, any kind of uh, greed or selfishness as those times of, uh, of loss. So the, when he was asked about humanity in general, he did say that we are gaining, that as a, as a collective soul involution, that we are slowly kind of learning to act more from soul consciousness while in the earth. So that's a, a hopeful message. Peter, how did you first find out about Edgar Cayce? Well, I was introduced to this work largely by uh, Harmon Breaux. He, uh, A friend of mine uh, invited me to this series of lectures uh, given by a well-known theologian and psychologist, and he talked about how he and his wife had lived with Edgar Cayce for almost a year towards the end of Edgar Cayce's life and was present for, I don't know, several hundred uh, readings. And so that... Meeting Harmon uh, kind of triggered this interest that I'd heard of Edgar Casey in college, but it wasn't until now I had more time, and so I read there is a river, and that uh, sparked this uh, whole interest. But Harmon was able to give me a lot of um, personal stories about what it was like to be with uh, with Edgar Casey, not the Edgar Casey in trance, but the Edgar Casey, uh, the man. Now Harmon's wife, who is alive. She's, uh, I think, 97, June bro. She talked about how um, Mr. Casey was very personable. He really enjoyed meeting people, but he quickly realized that that they just wanted him to shut up and go into trance. And so there was always this little feeling like, oh, they just, okay, let's get this over with and and I'll give them uh, a reading. Now, Hugh Lynn Casey used to tell interesting stories about his father. And he talked about how, you know, on different occasions, he said they would go to New York oftentimes because he had a clientele there. And they said that back then, you know, the, the bellman would carry your bags and open the door for you. And he said sometimes his father would go in the room and say, oh, we need another room. And he said, why dad? He couldn't see anything. Apparently there was something going on in that room with uh, discarnates that Edgar Casey was choosing not to have a part with. You see, Edgar Casey had in the waking state, he could see the aura that surrounded people. And so that gave him apparently a sense of and the emotional state of somebody. Like if he saw a lot of red, he knew that person was very angry. But if he saw a lot of blue and white, he knew that that was a very spiritual uh, person. He also could see... Uh, it started with his grandfather or actually in childhood, he could see he had imaginary friends like many children do. And he later found out that those were the souls that were going to come in as his soul group. And before they would incarnate, they visited him in childhood and then they proceeded to, uh, to incarnate. But he, um, he talked about how he would oftentimes, you know, he was giving lectures frequently and he said in what we see as those empty spaces, he said that there would be, uh, Discarnate. And he said, sometimes they'd raise their hand to ask a question. <laughs> so you can imagine you're a, he says, yes, you in the robe, uh, you know, what's the question? Nobody could see him and barely nobody could hear the question and Then he'd answer. So this is kind of the unusual world that uh, Edgar Casey lived in. Now, Harmon talked about that, you know, he was with Edgar Casey at the time of the, uh, of the war, so both of his sons were serving, and Edgar Casey was giving too many readings. That's really what did him in. He was told he he should only do two or three, and he was doing eight, nine, and ten. See, his his book had come out, and he was getting bagfuls of requests for readings, and he couldn't sleep. For him, it was like a hundred people in his living room begging uh, for help. So sometimes they'd work late nights and they'd try to go to a diner to get a bite to eat. And, and Harmon says, One time he's starving, he sits down with Edgar Casey. The waitress comes up. Edgar Casey looks at her and says, Don't marry him. And she says, How do you know? You know, I've been thinking about it all day. I'm, I'm, I've been ambivalent, but he had proposed to me. And then Harmon is thinking, "Oh God, when are we going to get our sandwich?" And so he went and told the woman, "Just wait. This isn't the right guy for you. In about six months, you're going to meet uh, someone who's much, much uh, better for you." So this is the this is the story of what it was like to be with Edgar Casey. Just his incredible uh, psychic gifts in the waking state, and. You know, like I said earlier, he paid a price for it. You know, being put in jail for practicing medicine without a license, being kicked out of the church. You know, he really was somebody who uh, I would say gave his life for his friends. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: In addition to your other work, you also do past life hypnosis sessions. What's the difference between what you do and the readings that Casey gave?
1: Well, um, Edgar Casey was able to do the work for the individual. So uh, someone would come to Edgar Casey or they could even just write a letter, they didn't have to be present, and he would be able to access something called the Akashic record. And the Akashic records is where apparently it's a uh, it's in, it comes from uh, the Sanskrit word akasha which means ether. So every every moment apparently is sort of filmed and certain people can do so uh, in the body Apparently it's easier when you're out of the body but Edgar Casey was able to access that for the individual so if you came to Edgar Casey he would go into the trance state and he would bring forward probably about three or four lifetimes that were generally To try to inspire you to kind of talk to you about three lifetimes where you're really doing good soul work and it would help you understand kind of talents and gifts that you have. And he may give you one life where it was like you deviated like something to be careful about. There's been maybe a time where you you slipped. A bit so that seemed to be the, the pattern now the work that I do is that the person themselves does the work so Edgar Cayce would go into trance to access the Akashic record what I do is I put individuals into trance and I the way that I think of it is that to, to do a reading for somebody else I think you have to go into quite a deep state of trance so Edgar Cayce had to go deep to, to access somebody else's but I think that for the individual to access their own personal Akashic record they don't have to go as deep it's a little bit like I think that each of us may have a personal library in our house and there's also a central library and so when you want something that's not personal you have to drive to the library in town so you have to travel a greater distance but for your own record your own soul memory it's actually quite uh, accessible and readily available to you I think it has a bit to do with uh, permission that I think that there's a privacy to uh, people's past lives so I think to get somebody else's uh, record you have to have their permission so for our own uh, memory. You know, we have we, given ourselves permission to remember useful past lives.
0: In preparation for this show, I came across some information that said that Casey gave past life readings on Jesus. And what I found most fascinating was that Casey was able to cover the missing years, the years that the Bible doesn't tell us about Jesus. Based on your knowledge of the Casey readings, what did he tell us about Jesus's
1: missing years? Well, I was raised uh, Catholic. And so, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I had some... Uh I did a lot of questioning that, that got me into a little trouble with the in my religion class with the nuns and priests. And I, as I think of past lives of Jesus, I, I can just see uh, Sister Juliana. Uh, I, I would have been expelled, never allowed on the premises. So I, I, there's still a little part of me that that when I hear that, that still kind of uh, bristles. But yes, that's what Casey talked about. He said that Casey uh, that Jesus had had 33 lifetimes. That he came in with the intention of you know the, the first involution was a curiosity that got stuck you know the the earth had become like a roach motel a lot of checking in but no checking out and so the parable of the uh, the lost sheep the one that gets lost and the shepherd that goes to look for the one. That's the story of the, the second involution. It was a desire to help the ones that had gotten so entangled in matter and had forgotten their origins that the second involution came to try to teach and show the way out, to remind people of their spiritual origins that they had forgotten. And so uh, the story of Jesus is that in his many lifetimes, he in a way he was setting up the, um, the possibility of the Messiah life where he would be able to, to break the the pattern of earthly incarnations and give people hope that you can remain spiritual while you're in a physical uh, body and a physical existence. And so Casey put Jesus as involved with ancient Egypt. He said he was the architect of the great pyramid. He put him as involved with an ancient religion called Zoroastrianism in a previous uh, lifetime. Well, those were the, um, in those lost years, those were where apparently Jesus went, you know, at age 12, a Jewish boy is being prepared for a bar mitzvah. And so this was not the, the, you know, he, Casey says about how Jesus was in a scene and they had prepared for his incarnation. And so they knew that this was the Messiah. And so it was not for him to get married and have a normal life. So he was taken out of Israel at age 12. And apparently the first stop was in India. And when Casey was asked about the book, the Aquarian gospel of Jesus Christ, that which is written by Levi, he was asked, is that accurate? And Casey gave an interesting answer. He said, yes, it's accurate from the perspective of Levi. So he didn't say it's accurate in the total way, but it's almost like Levi looked at the Akashic records and from his angle, that's pretty, pretty accurate. And so in that account, um, there also the story of those lost years of Jesus and talks about similar to Edgar Casey that his first stop was in Varanasi the the sacred city of India and that Jesus basically became what you would say uh, a yogi he learned how to meditate he learned how uh, apparently it was very helpful for him when he had to deal with this severe pain of the uh, of the crucifixion and so uh, Casey says well did he teach the uh, apostles to meditate in case he says yes he was working with them on that and it's referenced in scripture uh, that the, the the backstory isn't given there's just a comment that jesus makes and so the the apostles apparently were wondering why jesus didn't seem to tire why he didn't seem to eat or drink like they did and when they asked him this is what's in scripture uh, jesus answered i eat of the meat that you know not of and what he was saying is that in his time in india he had learned how to uh, to work with non-physical energies to renew himself. That was part of his yogic uh, training. And then after India, apparently he went to Persia and was reminded or reawakened kind of the uh, Zoroastrian tradition, which is, if you look at these traditions, you can see how they're part of what he came to teach as uh, Christianity. And then from Persia, he went to uh, Egypt and was initiated in the pyramid that he had in a previous lifetime been the architect of, you know, the, the main purpose, according to Edgar Cayce of the great pyramid is in that, um, the experience in the, what they call the, um, chamber of the second birth where, uh, an initiate, you know, they, they have these two, uh, there's, they're thought of as air vents that are in that room. And Casey says, no, those aren't air vents. Those help the soul when it leaves the body to exit this universe and spend three days outside of this known universe. And so the initiate is awakened to that there is no death. And that's the symbol of the Ankh. And so all of these became part of what he came to uh, to try to teach and unify. So his teachings in Christianity were really about trying to access uh, a world or a broad view of God rather than anything uh, specific. And that's why it was hard for him when he came in to really stick with just Judaism because his, his teachings were so much broader than any individual religion. They had aspects of, uh, of these different traditions.
0: In another episode that we did, which is now being re-engineered by the way, on Joseph of Arimathea, it was a two part episode. Joseph of Arimathea, as many of you might remember was the man who asked Pontius Pilate if he could have Jesus's body when it came down from the cross. Joseph already had his own burial place available. There are many biblical historians today who believe that Joseph of Arimathea was very likely Jesus's uncle. Joseph was also a very wealthy man and apparently he supplied tin to Rome. He had tin mines in Cornwall. And as the story goes, Joseph of Arimathea would take Jesus with him to Cornwall during those years that we call the missing years, and it's very possible that he was able to finance his education and travels to other countries to learn about different religions and beliefs. Do you know anything about Joseph of Arimathea or
1: any more stories of Pontius Pilate? I could offer you some information that Casey gave about Pontius Pilate, and I believe that some of this is also... um you know, it's from scripture as well. Apparently a member of uh, Pilate's family had been healed by Jesus. I think it was uh, on the, on his wife's side of the family. And so his wife had told Pilate not to have anything to do with Jesus's death. And if you, if you look at uh, Pilate's intervention with that perspective, you get a sense that Pilate was looking for reasons to, to let Jesus go. Now, Casey said Jesus was the most psychic person that's ever existed. And so to me, that's why he says nothing to Pilate, because he knows that all he has to do is say something and Pilate's going to release him. And even Pilate even says, I says, don't you realize that I have the right, you know, I have the ability to set you free. And then he, Jesus gives him an unusual answer. He just says, yeah, you have that, that right, that ability because God has granted it to you. So there's nothing in that, that Pilate has that he can, he hasn't given him anything uh, material to, uh, to release, uh, Jesus with. Now, another kind of ancillary story about Pilate was that Casey gave readings for a young girl that was called a little prophetess. Her name was Faith Harding. And Casey said that she was the reincarnation of St. Cecilia and the mother of John, the beloved. And he said, this young girl has greater abilities than uh, Edgar Casey himself has. Now there were several readings given for this girl. There were admonishments given to the parents because they were kind of exploiting her in a way. Actually, this is one of those readings where the Archangel Michael spoke through Edgar Casey with uh, these warnings about this gift that was in the world and how it was being turned into a circus act. But if you read some of little Faith Harding's um, readings, she said that that, that Hitler was the reincarnation of Pontius Pilate. And so you can see how if there was this uh, Pilate having this relationship with the Jews, I don't know his anger about that. It's latent in Hitler and how in Hitler's life, he unconsciously enacts this uh, Pontius Pilate based uh, anger. And I found out about this because in our uh, Edgar Cayce archives, they have the actual copy of the newspaper article that was written at that time. I think she lived in, uh, I believe it was Pennsylvania. And so the headline was uh, little prophetess says Hitler is the reincarnation of Pilate," And it, she, they published the entire reading that she gave and it's in um, the old, you know, biblical English, the same as uh, Edgar Casey. So I remember that was also, Uh, impressive to me that it seemed to be coming there was some uh, familiarity or similarity between the two uh, the way that the source was uh, revealed
0: how does reincarnation work how long does it take to reincarnate and what's in that in-between world
1: yeah Casey had a lot to say about that they never asked him specifics about what's the average length of a in-between life experience but what does seem to be the case is that like with his sister is that the younger that you pass away the shorter the in-between life experience is it's almost like there's less to process and so the richer the longer your life has been the longer your in-between life experience is and casey said that time is measured on the other side in cycles which are 33 earth years now he goes into quite an anatomy of what happens in between existences there's a like an afterlife review and then there's these interplanetary sojourns is as he calls it and so he says the planets as we see them here that they're actually uh schools or states of consciousness that we we don't incarnate because it's non-physical but will the way that it seems let's say you've had a lifetime where you've been too passive so in your in-between life planning, you're going to go to the consciousness of Mars and you're going to gain kind of energy and action. And so your next life, you're going to be more active. But let's say you've had a life where you've been too active, maybe too martial. You may then in your in-between life have an experience in Venus where you gain more kind of a balance, more harmony, more love. And it seemed, But we have experiences apparently in all of those. And so it's a little bit like like the palette, like a painter's palette. And so that in a in a lifetime, you know, we come out and say, "Well, I think you need a little blue, a little more orange." You know, we're we're in some ways trying to balance out, you know, with the astrological energies, the challenges that come into a uh, a physical incarnation. So that's part of it: is that we we gain these energies, these knowledge, this wisdom in these interplanetary sojourns, and then we begin to uh, plan our next incarnation. and you know, what he says is that we all pick our parents. You know, when I talk about this, I say, was well, anybody want to leave right now? It's such a preposterous idea. You know, these people have been running away from my whole life. How did I pick them? But apparently we do. We do choose. Uh, and oftentimes it's because there's karmic connections with them. And there's a, uh, you know, before they incarnated, we were part of the possibility of the plan. And we come in and uh, try to achieve our goals, which are less outward. And they're more about, uh, relationships and more about, uh, you know, the, the main reason that we seem to reincarnate is grudges and resentments. And so if you really are on the one and get on the fast track, it's really working on, and, and you know, thinking about the relationships you have in your life and which ones just seem to be unresolved that you're just kind of shut off about that person. You know, I oftentimes tell people you hate people closer. Meaning that if you want to be Siamese twins with somebody in a future life, just hate the crap out of them in this life and you'll come closer because the soul wants to work out that dynamic. You know, you, you love people and then they become like twin souls and they become kind of background people to support you. But we're all incarnating because the soul wants to do this karmic work. The ego forgets all about this and the ego wants shortcuts. That's why it's so important, according to Edgar Casey, to tune in you know, to do meditation and to do prayer and to do, I think, some trance work where you're able to consciously remind yourself of your pre-life planning, contact your guides and get back in touch with uh, the purposes of your uh, incarnation. How much of our spiritual journeys do we work out in our sleep, in our dreams? One of the things I might add is, uh, you know, I've been a dream researcher, I've been in my, both my parents were psychiatrists, my dad was a psychoanalyst, I thought every kid was being asked about his dreams at the breakfast table, and so dreams have always been very uh, interesting to me, and so when I was in college I remember trying to do an analysis of, of different traditions of dream study. That was before I knew about Edgar Cayce. Now, what Edgar Cayce talks about, what's unique really to Edgar Cayce's interpretation of dreams is that he says that during dream, during sleep, we are having actual real experiences. You know, Carl Jung said, "Okay, maybe we remember our past lives. Maybe we access the Akashic record. Most dream uh, interpretation is that we're processing uh, information from our day with past information. It's just kind of a cataloging function. He said that is the case sometimes, but that we are leaving our body and we're moving from this little tip of the iceberg into much more of our vastness. And so that we will have uh, experiences of these interplanetary soldiers. We have a countless types of experiences that actually we grow and learn from, and then they are downloaded into our consciousness as dreams. So dreams are oftentimes symbolic representations of these multidimensional experiences experiences that we have. For example, I had a very significant dream and all I, all that happened in the dream is that I was in the middle of the ocean and I was just floating and it was a blissful feeling. Now that's what I woke up with. But if in reality I was to be swimming in the middle of the ocean, there would be a feeling of fear or discomfort. As I thought about the dream, I think that in my sleep state, I went into that experience of oneness and the only way that it could be downloaded into my three-dimensional physical consciousness was, was at the imagery of being at one or swimming peacefully in the deep sea. So I'm fascinated with this topic of Casey and dreams and sleep because he calls sleep the sixth sense. He says we all leave our bodies every night and uh, have these out-of-body type of experiences. And so, you know, I've oftentimes how important it is to work with our dreams. You know, if if, if somebody's blind or uh, otherwise physically handicapped, we, we, we say, oh, that's too bad. They're, they don't have that sense. But if, if sleep is such an uh, important experience, a sixth sense, and if we're not working with our dreams, do we think of ourselves as also uh, being handicapped, that we have this whole sensory capacity that we're not accessing?
0: Based on Casey's readings, I'm going to ask you the cosmic question. If there's a God, how can there be war, and how can good people, why is it that good people have to suffer terrible tragedies?
1: Yes, that's a important question. I think one that uh, every seeker has to find an answer for. Now, um, Casey's work is that really we have been given free will. And so that there's no, um, we've been making choices and the choice to come into the earth and the, co- the choice to kind of forget has been our sole choice. And the creative forces or God forces have been trying to help us remember, you know, they give us access to all these tools, whether we use them or not is up to us. But I often think that, you know, as a boy, when I used to watch a movie and I would get very connected to the movie, my mother would oftentimes say, Peter, it's just a movie. And that would help me kind of detach that it was that my feelings of of what was going on in some way weren't real. And I think that we are in a way that, you know, Casey says life is a dream of the soul. And so some of what we're experiencing here is reality. It's really only reality at the level of consciousness that we're experiencing it. Like if you look at what did Jesus try to show us? He said, God, we got, we get so caught up in the drama of life and the suffering of life. And he says, he shows there is no death. Like we get so focused on on suffering and death and avoiding this and trying to prolong things and, and losing our grasp of our origins. And so I think that in a way, I don't wanna put down anybody's suffering, but oftentimes what we're experiencing here when we wake up, it's not it's happened at a state of consciousness that's not of the eternal. And so we're all, whatever you've gone through, whatever's happening here on the earth, it's somehow part of a process. And when we're out of that consciousness, when we're in our eternal consciousness, we understand that the soul is never going to die. You know, there, there may be. You know we're having an impact on our Earth, and there's certainly on the physical level there's things that that could uh, we could damage uh, in some ways perhaps permanently, but really this Earth plane from Casey's perspective is a is a place of our learning and growth, and that sometimes I think we forget that and we get too caught up in, uh, in the drama. And, and I think if you look at, you know, the masters, let's say like Buddha tries to teach, you know, you need to take a step back. You have to have a little bit of detachment. Don't get so caught up in this emotional reality, which is really of the body. The, the soul has no emotions to it. So that's some of what, uh, I've come to believe. And, and the, the Casey work has tried to help me with, I think we, let's say if we lose a loved one, we still suffer that, you know, we, we understand that life's eternal, that somehow they're not no longer in the physical, they continue to exist, but there's still a period of time where it's okay to mourn and to be sad and to, to long for that uh, physical connection, the ability to talk with a loved one the way that we did, you know, it's different when someone's on the other side. Of course you're going to have dreams with them and you know that they're, they're continuing on, but you still have a, you know, the noble truth: life is suffering. There's no, there's no denying that coming into this physical dimension has that element. And I think that work, the work of Buddha, or Jesus, or Edgar Casey, are really to try to help us deal with that. Uh, you know, not be so identified with the ego. You know, Carl Jung said the purpose of life is to move our center of identity from the ego to the self, which is the soul. So when I say I am Peter, that I move my identity to the I am. And realizing that Peter is just a leaf, you know, it's, it's going to come and go. And the I am is, is the part of me that's eternal. And I will be, you know, in the future something, and I, and I have been, but the I am lasts. And I think that's the, if there's a secret, it's to try to move into that identity.
0: That gives me the perfect segue to be able to ask you, How do you apply your personal beliefs and what you've learned from Casey to your work as a hypnotherapist, and how do you help people along those lines?
1: Well, with hypnosis, it's quite easy because uh, it's a natural transition to move from the ego to soul consciousness. You know, as it says in Scripture, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And so when you subjugate the ego, let's say when you go to sleep, that's where you become soul conscious that's where you have dreams when you meditate you become more soul conscious so anytime you you kind of put the ego aside you move in consciousness remains and that moves more closer to your uh, eternal consciousness and so the work that i do with hypnosis it really naturally moves people out of this, you know, space, time, you know, past, present, future continuum. And I believe a lot of incredible healing can happen when we move out of the limitations of the mind as we construct it in the body and the way that we move it when we cross into soul consciousness. For example, I don't know if you know, but at least twice under hypnosis, Edgar Cayce levitated. The first time that it happened, someone couldn't hear him. And they said, up, up, and he didn't know they were talking about his voice. He'd lever, he raised up off the chair or off the sofa. And I assume they said down, down to get him back down. But as I've thought about that, you see, he was in the soul consciousness at that time. And so the body was responding to his soul consciousness at that time. And I think that's how, let's say somebody like Jesus walks on water because he was permanently in that, soul state of consciousness and I think that the new age is that we're all opening now to that possibility that moving into soul consciousness is very very healing very very enlightening very very uh, helpful and according to Edgar Casey it's never been closer this is one of the closest times where there's a thinning of a veil between God consciousness and the uh, human consciousness or the earthly consciousness
0: what kind of life challenges do people come to you with seeking help?
1: Oh, they come with uh, with all kinds of things. You know, the, probably the most common is somebody's just curious about hypnosis and about um, a past life memory or something like that. And I have to be, to, my work has progressed. Like for the first couple of years, I purely did past life recall. And then it seems to me that... I've gotten comfortable with this concept of having guides and it seems that the guidance that I work with on the other side has moved me into different types of work. And so people now get, um, even future life progressions, which sounds bizarre. Sometimes they have the in-between state where they contact their guides and they're reminded of certain things. They get uh, questions answered, but people will come to me from, you know, sometimes what people seek, you know, hypnosis works with suggestibility. So suggestibility is basically like, like faith. And so sometimes somebody comes to me and, and what they're seeking to me seems outside of the possibility of what, what I think hypnosis can do, but I can't express that because then that crushes the, the possibility of something helpful happening. So oftentimes, like I'll give you an example, a woman came to me with what, what, what my clinical background would describe as severe PTSD. She was in her fifties and she had had such a severe childhood abuse situation that it had influenced her ability to sleep her whole life that ever since childhood, she couldn't sleep through the entire night. She would wake up in a cold sweat in a panic because she used to have to hide from the, the drunk father. And so she would check the windows just to make sure it was safe, almost like in a in a trance reawakening back at that time of uh, childhood. And she said, I can't function right now. I was able to, to get by on these interrupted sleep, but I can't do it anymore. So I'm hoping that you can help me. And she had heard about my work and, pre-sleep suggestions from Edgar Casey. so we made a pre-sleep tape and part of me is thinking you know this would take years of psychotherapy to help somebody with this level of PTSD so we did a pre-sleep tape just reassuring her that that time had passed that she was safe and gave her the recording with the instruction to listen to it as every night before going to sleep as much as she could so she contacted me a few months later and she said it's completely resolved thank you very much I'm sleeping through the night I'd like to meet with you again on some other issues I was shocked. How does that, how did that happen? I don't, I don't know. Now, I could tell you 10 stories that would make me sound like the best hypnotist ever, but I can also give you 10 where the person is not suggestible, where they didn't take. And so it's really, um, you know, I'm curious about how is it, like I think what I'm talking about with uh, suggestibility is faith. How is it that some people are able to access this faith and some people aren't? You know, like, like when Jesus takes uh, Peter onto the water. And since Peter sees Jesus on the water, at first he can do it, but then his faith starts to wane and he starts to fall. And I'm very curious about how hypnosis can help people grow in faith. You know, if we can, if, if, if there's something about moving out of physical consciousness that moves into a realm of infinite possibilities. Now with something, I've always been curious about the placebo effect because that's the, where somebody, a doctor gives a patient, uh, a sugar pill and says, oh, this is great for, you know, stomach disorder. And traditionally, it's been about 30% of people that will respond. And, and you know, pharmaceutical companies and science had always hated the placebo effect. And I said, it's so fascinating, you know, that for a pharmaceutical to get on the market, it has to outperform the placebo. So when you take a a medication, it means it's better than 30% of the time that it, you know better than a placebo. Well, what they found is they're beginning to now study the placebo. It's up to 50 and 60%. So the pharmaceutical companies are exasperated because now they have their, their medications have to continue to outperform the placebo, but the placebo effect is growing. And that, that to me, sh- tells me that somehow as a people, we're growing in faith you know, they even have what they call open blind placebo, where the person like the doctor says, this has not been shown to do anything for your stomach ailment, but why don't you try it? And they find 20% of people get an effect from what they call this open blind uh, placebo. So that gives me a hopefulness that somehow uh, faith is growing, that somehow we're we're more and more open. And there's, I think we're opening to spiritual realms and kind of maybe perhaps moving back into the consciousness from whence we've came, which is uh, infinite potentials.
0: In my pre-show notes, I had a note to ask you about a study from the University of Virginia on past lives that really made some headlines.
1: Can you fill me in on that one? Are you referring uh, to Ian Stevenson's work on uh, 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation? Yes. Yes, so he did that... uh, that study And it's basically about uh, children that would have spontaneous recall of past lives. And so a child that begins to talk to their parents and saying, you know, I'm not from here. You know, I I, I lived, you know, 20 miles from here to Martha and Joe were my my parents. And then th- the kids are so persistent that eventually the the parent, you know, sometimes the kid will remember the phone number. And so then they, they call up, and then the the child will go and meet with this family and, and be very emotional, and somehow give the the family uh, the impression that, that that wow this seems to be the really reincarnation. They'll remember, they'll know where their bedroom was, and they'll be able to tell the story of how they died. Some of, something that's very unusual, and Casey talked about it, is that oftentimes birthmarks connect to past life uh, experiences. For example, one child described having getting having gotten shot in the previous life and the child had both the entry birthmark and exit wound birthmark and when he you know went to to meet the family they said yeah he uh, he had been shot at such and such a time or maybe that was the death was created by this uh this bullet and so ian stevenson found 20 cases that he felt were so strong that they were undeniable and i know that for the most part his work has been pretty well regarded i mean it was at the university of virginia and i know they continue in their department of uh perceptual studies to continue to do uh to do this type of research but again it seems that the child death in childhood is where it's much easier to uh, to remember you may know the the story of uh, the the book called soul survivor which is a very well documented case of a child really describing his uh, death in a plane in world war ii um i think that's bruce lenninger uh, he's he's a friend of the are and he's spoken here many times about that experience it's quite a thorough detailed account of a of his son and, you know bruce was a complete Uh, skeptic and he said because he was so skeptical he documented everything he documented everything his son said you know his son was talking about the the name of the of the ship and the uh, the type of plane he was flying this was a little boy of like three or four years old and never in this life seen or known any of this stuff and then he he was able to say the names of the the people that were in his uh, battalion and then he went and you know he said his name that he had in that lifetime and and when he went and and found the the retired uh, pilots, they remembered, they talked about how he had died. And then he had a very emotional uh, reunion. He was taken back to Japan and, uh, you know, left flowers. And the little boy is sobbing as he's uh, recalling his death uh, off that plane at about 18 or 19 years of age. And I've heard that since the boy is now back in the military and almost like trying to pick up where he left off in that life.
0: Incredible. You also do past life hypnotherapy, can you recall an example of that?
1: That was really a moving session that you had. Oh, they're uh, they're countless. You know, it's uh, I've been asked to put a book together on uh, all these stories. I mean, there is several books that have already been written about it. But the first one that comes to mind, I remember a, a gentleman came in for uh, a session, and he, he he was accompanied by his uh, wife and daughter and they waited in the waiting room and he came in for the session and, and he had a very vivid recall of being a sergeant in the uh, Confederate army and he remembers uh, you know being part of certain battles but then he had a he had a wife and daughter and, and he he was tired of war he didn't want to be part of it anymore and then he had to he had to return and he got a uh, I think it was a musket or a bullet to his throat. And he, uh, he remembers that his dying thought was, I'm never going to see my wife and daughter again. But very soon after he left the body, he realized, no, no, I am going to see them again. Life is eternal. And he realized that his wife and daughter, in the waiting room were his wife and daughter from that past life, and so when he when he left the session and he greeted them, it was almost like he uh, hadn't seen them in a whole lifetime. He was just hugging them and so happy to, you know, he had remembered how how sad he was to leave them and how happy he is now to have them back in his life. And so those are, uh, you know, maybe a story about um, kind of a healing. You know, I know that um, in my life I had uh, an older sister. That it was always a little bit distant from and then in a spontaneous regression i saw that she had left me up for adoption uh, when i was a child in ireland and i realized that i was unconsciously holding this resentment toward my daughter i mean towards my uh my sister but what i realized in the regression was i was able to feel her feelings i was able to see that this was ireland we had 12 she had 12 children she couldn't feed all of them and i realized that this was not personal and so when I came out of the regression, there was a, just a letting go, a feeling of uh, unconsciously forgiving my sister. I remember I called her up shortly thereafter and we were able to, uh, to have a lunch. And so it's just strange. Sometimes we have these, these grudges or resentments that we're not even quite aware of. But uh, my sense is that trance work, regression work, can uh, can help people. Oftentimes, people come and they're not quite sure. They're curious, not quite sure what they're coming from. But I always say that everybody's coming in for a session. Their soul is pregnant. The soul is ready to give birth to something. And I, I consider myself a midwife of that process. I, I'm not responsible for it. I just help this uh, this birth come into uh, consciousness for them.
0: Peter, what do you know about the man who claims to be Casey reincarnated? He's been making a lot of news lately.
1: Now I, I've never uh, met David Wilcox or have any uh, real experience with him, so I'm not really having an opinion about him. But I, I do know. I mean, I think that the ARE itself, as an organization, does not espouse that he's the reincarnation. I think that when Edgar Casey passed away, they they thought that this might happen, and they came up with a certain kind of test that they would give people who said they were his reincarnation. And I remember the story is that Edgar Evans Casey. Um, the Casey's youngest uh, son said that he was pretty close, but had not been able to really pass the, uh, the test. Now, Hugh Lynn Casey, Edgar Casey's other son's secretary does believe that he is the reincarnation of Edgar Casey. So I don't have a, a horse in that race. I haven't made an opinion about it, but those are just some of the, uh, the stories now. Edgar Casey did talk about how he would reincarnate in 1998, so that would make him about 21 years old. Also said that it would not be good for him to know that he had been Edgar Casey; that he he needed to live a childhood or life unburdened by that expectation. So that would not put him necessarily. I think uh, uh, David Wilcox is much older than that. Do you have any favorite Edgar Casey stories you'd like to share? Well, one of my favorite personal stories about Edgar Casey is one told by his son, Edgar Evans. You know, Ed, uh, Edgar Casey in The Waking State was incredibly psychic. He had had a past lifetime where he had uh, misused his psychic ability as a riverboat gambler. So he could see everybody's cards. And so he made lots of money and apparently seduced women like crazy. And so he, uh, you know, he fell a lot in that lifetime. One of the consequences was that as Edgar Casey, that's why the full psychic gift that he had, had was withdrawn out of his conscious control because he had misused it. So that the karmic consequence of this guy Bainbridge misusing psychic ability was that Edgar Casey couldn't have full access to it in his life as uh, as Edgar Casey. So. Casey knowing that he had misused his psych ability with cards he never played cards he invented a game actually called pit that's still on the market I think he sold it to Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers and you know every now and then when we get together we all sit around and play uh, and play pit it's just a it's a fast game a psychic can't gain any advantage in that game but um, when Edgar uh, when uh, Casey was about 10 or 11 he pushed his dad he said dad why don't you ever play cards with us and so finally edgar relented and he said okay why don't you and your brother get a deck of cards and shuffle it up real good and so they went they're all excited oh dad's gonna play cards with us they shuffled up the deck and they came to him and Hulin says that his father proceeded to call all 52 cards ace of spades without looking at the deck ace of spades two of hearts three of diamonds queen of spades all 52 and then edgar evans says we never looked at dad the same after that
0: (laughs) that's a great story it brings up one more thing and that's games based on past experience from many years back i have a huge caution flag on the
1: ouija board
0: i've warned my children against it we don't even keep one in the house what was casey's feeling on that what's your feeling on that
1: Oh, you have a friend in Casey. You know, he advised against uh, using the Ouija board. He said it's it's easy to call spirits in. It's not so easy to get rid of them. Exactly. Hugh Lynn Casey also warned about even going to uh, a medium's house because, that, you know, there's spirits there, and then you, you'd be careful about those uh, coming home with you. Peter,
0: I can't thank you enough for the time you've spent with us here. I know our listeners are going to enjoy this very much and probably going to be asking for another one because it just seems like there's so many topics that we haven't covered yet. So I will look forward to the hope of doing another interview with you. Also, um, before we close out, I'd like you to give people your contact information uh, as well as as ARE and kind of get people squared up on where they can go, what uh, websites, contact information they can get from you.
1: Sure. Sure thing. And thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. I'd be happy to come back again and and continue our conversation. Um, I have a website, peterwoodbury.com, peter and Woodbury's wood, B-U-R-Y.com. Also through edgarkasey.org. I teach several courses, both here in Virginia beach and around the country. I teach here, uh, regression hypnosis, and also Casey focused, uh, life coaching. And so if you go to my website, you can, uh, see where, where and how to, to sign up for that or gain more information.
0: What's the possibility we could sit in on a regression hypnosis therapy session sometime in the near future?
1: Oh, that would be great to do. We could, we could find a, a volunteer and someone we could do that live and you get to see, experience my process and kind of see what happens. And I, I would be happy for it to be uh, spontaneous, not planned. And I wouldn't want to bring in, uh, you know, somebody that's highly hypnotizable. And I'd rather that we just pick somebody randomly or, or somebody maybe that's never had a session and just see how it goes. You're on. Thanks for joining us at 1001
0: Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. We're a proud part of the 1001 Stories Podcast Network, which includes our other two shows, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and 1001 Stories for the Road. We invite you to subscribe to our shows. It's free, and we've placed links for Apple and Android users in our show notes. You can also always find us at our home site, www.1001storiespodcast.com. Reviews are always welcome at Apple Podcasts, and we appreciate your sharing our show with others, especially at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes and Twitter, the address being at 1001podcast. Most of all, we want to thank you for being a part of 1001 and supporting our sponsors and sending us your ideas at 1001 stories podcast at gmail.com. Producing this show, researching our stories, and sharing them with you is an adventure I never would have dreamed I'd be doing. But here we are, and I still have 800 more stories to tell. I'll make a deal with you if you keep sending reviews and sharing our show with friends. I'll keep producing 1001 podcasts. I still have quite a few to go before we reach 1001. And here's a few of those reviews to share with you. Here's one from Sweden from Static66. This is one of the best history, myths, and legends podcasts from the USA. Another one by o Griffin in the USA. Love your show. It's all in the title. Great content each time. Well-researched and entertaining. I always learn something new. Keep up the great work. And this is from the USA from Twill. I greatly enjoy the old-time stories, even the ones I've heard before. I like the take on them. And this one's from the UK. I discovered your podcast the other day because it was mentioned in the podcast study survey and it sounded interesting. I've just listened to the El Fego episode as my first episode and found it thoroughly entertaining. I'll also be checking out 1001 Classic Short Stories. And this one, great podcast. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for listening, 1001 Heroes fans. Hope you enjoyed this series with the Casey readings as much as I did. I hope it opened some minds, and maybe raise some questions. It certainly did with me. A special thanks to the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach for opening their arms and doors and conference rooms and wonderful, talented people that they have to us at 1001 Heroes. We appreciate it. We thank all of you listeners out there for listening. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.